0: You play to win the game. Yes. giving you a championship. They are who we thought they were. Playoffs. Take that for data. One, two, three, one, two. So, on today's uh, initial title run podcast, we're going to talk about why the Quinn Air Falcons drafts are actually better than you might realize. So in looking at Atlanta's rather unexpected path through the 2020 NFL draft, it rekindled discussions about the entire 13-year draft record of Thomas Dimitrov and, more specifically, the effectiveness of his recent drafts alongside Falcons head coach Dan Quinn. So it's easy to point fingers at maddeningly inconsistent players like Vic Beasley and complete duds like Duke Riley. Yikes. Um, But how well do the Quinn era drafts as a whole stand up to further review? expectations for any draft pick should be tempered based on the position they play and the value at their position in the draft. For example, not every first-round quarterback will make a Pro Bowl. That's literally impossible, so that's not a realistic expectation. But it's not unreasonable to expect a first-round quarterback to be a competent starter early in their career. You get the idea. With that in mind, um, here's a look at what we feel are realistic projected draft values based on draft slot and then some examples of Atlanta Falcons pre-2015 so before Quinn and Dimitrov that would fit that description so starting with a top 10 pick a top 10 pick is somebody that you're taking that has all pro potential so that's someone that is an elite prospect at a position of need example of that would be Julio Jones and Matt Ryan and while some will debate debate Matt Ryan's elite status. He has won a league MVP, so I think we can argue that's pretty successful um, for any pick taken anywhere in the draft. Moving a little bit further out to the top 20. So a top 20 pick is someone that you're taking to be an immediate starter with potentially elite upside. So this is a player that's got a Pro Bowl potential. Doesn't necessarily mean they'll reach it, but that is their upside. Examples from the Falcons' past would include someone like Keith Brooking, <laughs> who was taken the teens, and Sean Weatherspoon, who both were good, better-than-league-average players. Brooking was able to stay healthy enough to earn several Pro Bowl nods with the Falcons, um, and Weatherspoon had that potential but was obviously derailed due to injuries. Um, moving outside of the top 20 to the end of round one, you're essentially just looking there for a long-term starter. So this is an immediately competent NFL player that hopefully will be on your team for several years. So this is someone like a Desmond Trufant. Good, but not spectacular. But a quality NFL starter. And another example is Patrick Kearney, who was a good starter that ended up having three or four elite years um, that actually almost outperformed his draft position. And then he went to Seattle and even had a few all-pro years. In round two, you're looking for a player that's a future starter, or an immediate contributor. So this can be a rotational player that grows into a starting role like a Robert Alford or someone that's underdrafted and may be able to start immediately because they weren't valued properly. So examples of that would be someone like a Curtis Lofton, uh, who was a really, really good player for the Falcons for four years before he moved on to New Orleans, or a William Moore who was a first round talent that dropped because of injury concerns. Um, and When William Moore was healthy, he was a Pro Bowl caliber safety. Moving on to Round 3, this is where the Falcons have really had a lot of success finding value and quality over the years. So a Round 3 player is a rotational player that could develop into a future starter. So you're looking at players like Tevin Coleman, Harry Douglas, and Thomas Deku. Thomas Deku ended up even making a Pro Bowl in one really good year at the Falcons. I believe it was 2012 but these guys turn into really, really quality NFL players taken out of the third round. Moving along to round four, uh, these are depth players that could develop into rotational players. Some examples of this from the Falcons would be Levine Toilolo, who was a blocking tight end for us for several years, and then also Joe Hawley, who played center and guard. And uh, Hawley ended up developing into a starter for about three years, who played 91 games for us. So those guys are eventually taken, initially taken to be backups, but over the course of time they develop into key rotational roles. And that's what you're looking for out of a typical fourth round pick. Moving on to round five, this is a developmental player. These are players that project to become quality backups. Examples for this from the Falcons would be Jaquiz Rogers and Dominic Franks. Going further to round six, these are players that you hope make the end of your roster or your practice squad. So the idea here is You're picking special teams players, specialists, or end of the bench depth. So for example, if I could pick Matt Bosher in 2011, he was their punter for nine seasons, or eight or nine seasons. And then uh, you have a player like David Irons, uh, who was a late round draft pick that played reserve corner and was a special teams ace. And the hope is that your six round picks make your team. The 20, or 2019 sixth round pick for the Falcons Marcus Green was drafted to be a return specialist and a gadget guy and because of injuries throughout training camp wasn't able to make the roster and that's not unusual but 6th round picks are not complete throwaway picks 7th round picks essentially are we refer to the 7th round as throwing darts these are project players that rarely make the roster it's often a surprise that they do an example of this would be someone like a Jason Snelling and again those kind of players that are drafted in the seventh round and become key contributors. Those are rare. And then finally your last group, undrafted free agents, which we refer to as throwing darts, blindfolded. Uh, These are players brought in to fill out your training camp roster, and occasionally you'll find some gem like a Jopolo Bartu or Paul Worlow. So with those expectations laid out, we've separated the players of the 2015 through 2019 drafts into five categories based on whether they met exceeded or fell below these expectations. And so uh, it's premature to evaluate everybody from the 2020 class. Obviously, they haven't played a lot, and you have to give those prospects time to develop. And you have someone like Chris Lindstrom who only played five games. So it's a little premature to say what they can and cannot be. But we will evaluate players from the 2015 through 2019 classes. So um, so that bottom tier is players that you would more or less refer to as bus. So these players are a slight step up from that. We called this category Disappointments, and these are players that showed flashes of being competent NFL players but haven't consistently met draft expectations. So you're going to notice that all the players in this tier were not equally good NFL players, but they didn't meet what they were expected to do for their draft slots. So, of course, the top of this list is everyone's favorite, Vic Beasley, The number 8 overall pick in 2015. And a top 10 pick should be a Pro Bowl talent. Or an All-Pro talent. Vic Beasley made one All-Pro team and one Pro Bowl. Uh, Despite his inconsistency, that 2016 season keeps him from being a true bust, as he is often labeled. Because he did have the one season of elite play. But the fact that he disappeared for basically three and a half seasons in an Atlanta uniform... Means you cannot count Vic Beasley as a true success story. As a top ten pick, he should be an elite pass rusher, and he is a league average pass rusher who flashed one elite season. Then moving on to Caleb McGeary, um, at number thirty one overall, McGeary was a below average starter. Uh, according to Pro Football Focus, he had a f- grade of fifty three point three as a rookie, and that's for a player the Falcons traded back into the first round to get. And again, a first round draft pick, you expect to be a competent NFL starter, and McGarry as a rookie was not that. Um, he still got time, but his rookie year fell pretty far below expectations. Then, moving on, Sean Harlow, who was a fourth round pick for the Falcons, was expected to provide long term depth on the offensive interior, but he has constantly remained on the fringe of the roster and annually loses position battles with. Pretty much every other interior lineman the Falcons bring in, even undrafted guys. So Harlow definitely hasn't lived up to the idea of a fourth-round pick being a quality backup that moves into your rotation. And then the last player in this tier is Tack McKinley, the number 26 pick in the 2017 draft. And while Tack's hit and pressure rates are a little bit too strong to call him a complete bust, he can't stay healthy and he produced a career low three and a half sacks last year. So the Falcons at this point just don't really know what they have. He hasn't been bad enough for them to completely give up on him, but he hasn't produced anywhere near the level you expect a first-round pass rusher to produce at. So he goes in the in the list of disappointments. Moving on to our next tier, this is our middle tier. We refer to this one as the average Joe's. So these are players that met the expectations for their draft slot, maybe even slightly exceeded them, but generally they have played like you would think someone would play for where they were drafted. First in this list is Justin Hardy. Hardy is a quality backup and special teams player who generally managed to produce when he was needed. Next in the list is Keanu Neal. Neal was the number 17 pick in the 2016 draft, a pick that was very widely criticized. Um, People saying that the Falcons could have gotten Neal in the second round. And by a second year, he was already a Pro Bowl safety. Now, we know what happened in years three and four with him having the AC on Achilles injuries. But the essential idea is that a top 20 safety should be a Pro Bowl-level talent. And when Keanu Neal is healthy, that's what he is. He's a Pro Bowl-level talent. Problem is, he has not been on the field the last two years. Moving on to Calvin Ridley, the number 26 pick in the 2018 draft. So Ridley has 1,600-plus yards and 17 touchdowns in his first two seasons. That's good but not elite production, and that's more or less what you would expect from a number 26 pick. A number 26 pick is not someone that you're expecting to come in and be an elite number one receiver. But Ridley, pretty much from the beginning of his career, has been a very, very productive receiver. Now he'd probably have to get over the 80-catch, 1,000-yard mark to be considered elite, but at the number 26 pick, again, A very very good second option receiver is a very very good draft pick. Then moving on to the second round of that same draft, the Falcons selected Isaiah Oliver, and the idea for a second round pick is again, they're a person that develops into a starter later on in their career. And in year two, Oliver became a full time starter as expected. He didn't excel, but he played well enough in the second half to enter 2020 as Atlanta CB one, and. As a second-round pick, that's the expectation. By year two or three, that player should be a starter. Um, In the fourth round, John Kaminsky was taken, and he saw rotational duty late in the season. And despite not playing a ton, he actually graded out really well um, at 82.1 according to Pro Football Focus and limited snaps. And while Pro Football Focus isn't the gospel, the fact that he had such a high grade and limited snaps indicates that as a fourth-round pick, he is a quality rotational player, which is what you're looking for from that position. Also taken in the fourth round was Kendall Sheffield, and injuries pushed Sheffield into full-time duty at slot corner last year, and in the second half of the season, he really excelled, giving the Falcons a lot to be excited about, as he's going to start as the slot or nickel corner this year, and showed a lot to really make you think that he's going to excel in that position. And then, we have a trio of running backs kind of grouped together. Brian Hill, who was a fifth-round pick, Edo Smith, who was a fourth-round pick, and then Quadri Allison, who was a fifth-round pick. And all three are quality backups that have shown good to above-average production limited roles. Running backs, as we know, are essentially a dime a dozen. So when you have a fourth or fifth-round running back, the idea is that guy makes your roster, he contributes some carries, maybe a touchdown or two, and he stays in your roster. And that's more or less exactly what those guys have done, despite the fact that Brian Hill has been (laughs) cut and brought back to the Falcons by about 10 times, I'm pretty sure, since he was drafted initially. Alright, right, so moving along to our fourth tier, these are players that we consider hits. Hits are players that exceeded their draft expectations. First in this list is Tevin Coleman, and there's an argument for Coleman to go on the average Joe's list since he's never topped 1,000 yards rushing, but he was the fifth back taken in the 2015 class and has tallied the fourth most scrimmage yards in that class, just got a solid contract from the – san francisco 49ers in the last offseason so you could argue that he's an average joe running back but he was projected to be atlanta's starter as a rookie prior to a hamstring injury and was a huge part of that super bowl season and then became the full-time starter of course um, when Devontae freeman got injured in 2019 so we're arguing that he actually exceeded expectations as a full-time starter essentially for the last two seasons he was here in atlanta Devondre Campbell, who was a fourth-round pick in 2016, which is one of the best Falcons drafts in recent memory, uh, he went from a fast linebacker with questionable instincts into a plus starter, led the team in tackles in 2020, and became too expensive for Atlanta to resign. um, Got a one-year prove-it deal from the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Moving on to Wes Schweitzer, who was a sixth-round pick. Uh, Schweitzer was drafted as a possible swing tackle, um, but he kicked inside the guard and started 36 games over the last three seasons. So while he's been less than spectacular, he has easily outperformed his draft slot as a fringe roster player. So when you have a six-round pick that ends up starting 36 games for you, he has outperformed his draft position. So you have to consider him a hit even though his play hasn't been stellar. Russell Gage, another six-round pick. Um, Gage entered the league as a special teams ace. Even at LSU, he didn't get a lot of targets. He was mainly used on reverses. And the Falcons even experimented with him at corner last offseason. So after injuries and trades decimated the receiving depth last year, Gage stepped in to tally 49 catches for 446 yards, which is pretty exceptional production for a player that was never expected to even contribute as a receiver. And then we have a couple of undrafted free agents to round out this list. Alameda um, Zacchaeus, who was selected last year or signed last year as an undrafted free agent, he wasn't expected to make the active roster, much less play in 10 games and uh, score 93-yard touchdown in his first catch. So the fact that Zacchaeus made the roster already is an indication that he's outperformed uh, his undrafted free agent status. But then to actually get play and contribute is a plus. And then another one, and this is a throwback for you Falcons fans, uh, Teron Ward, if you remember him. Uh, while it seems like a vague memory, Ward served as the primary backup on multiple occasions where either Tevin Coleman or Devontae Freeman were, were injured, and one of them was injured a lot during 2017 uh, and 2018. Um, and Ward ended up sticking around with the Falcons for three years after coming out of Oregon State as an undrafted free agent, and he accumulated 375 yards on 90 carries and a few highlight-level trucks, if you can remember, um, him and his number 33 jersey. Um, one more to add to this list as we round it out is Sherrod Niesman, who tallied 41 appearances in four seasons with the Falcons, uh, earning a bunch of starter reps after the really snake-bitten injury-plagued season we had in 2018. And Neesman was an undrafted free agent coming out of college. At the very top tier of our list is the Diamonds in the Rough category. And this is for players that have significantly outperformed their draft position. So the top of the list is arguably the Falcons' best defensive player, Deion Jones. Uh, Jones was a second-round pick in that 2016 draft we referred to several times, and he was called a reach at the time of the draft, but uh, he reached all pro status in just a year two, completely eradicating the size concerns that hurt his draft stock and making Dan Quinn at the time like a genius. Um, Austin Hooper was taken in the third round of that same draft, and after back-to-back Pro Bowl seasons, Hooper just became the highest-paid tight end in NFL history, which is crazy. We don't remember this, but Hooper actually started in that Super Bowl team in 2016 after Jacob Tammy got hurt. And he is a very good player, obviously a two-time Pro Bowler, um, and that is definitely outperforming his draft slot in the third round and what people projected him to be after his first two years in the NFL were very uneventful. A Grady Jarrett was a fifth-round pick in the 2015 draft, and all pro talents aren't supposed to go in round five, but Jarrett had size concerns that caused teams to pass on his obvious tools, and he's developed into one of the best interior defenders in the NFL. And if Jones isn't isn't at the top of the list for your best player on the Falcons defense, you'd have to say it's Grady Jarrett. A Demonte Casey is another one, a fifth-round pick, who was moved from corner to safety to replace through injured Ricardo Allen in 2018. And he went ahead and tied for the league lead in interceptions with seven that year. So Casey has his flaws as a player, um, but to lead the league in interceptions as a fifth-round pick is definitely outperforming your draft position, especially when you're moving to play a completely different position than what you played in college. Foyer Lewicon was a six-round draft pick a few years ago, and he was a relative unknown coming out of Yale. Trying to watch his highlights was like watching the Zapruder film. You had to go to YouTube, and they were all mashed together. They weren't clipped, and it was just it was just crazy. But uh, he had 91 tackles as a rookie, which essentially earned him a spot as a Falcons outside linebacker of the future. And the expectation is for him to become a full-time starter this year, which, again, not what you expect out of a six-round pick. And then rounding out this list is Brian Poole. Uh, Poole was an undrafted free agent out of Florida in 2016. And undrafted free agents don't usually start in Super Bowls, and they don't usually get second contracts. And Brian Poole has managed to do both. And he was a slam dunk for his first couple years in Atlanta. All right, so let's review. In our misses category, at the very bottom tier, you have Jalen Collins, Duke Riley, and Deidre Sanat. In the Disappointments category, you have Vic Beasley, Caleb McGarry, Sean Harlow, and Tack McKinley. In our middle tier, the Average Joes, you have Justin Hardy, Keanu Neal, Brian Hill, Calvin Ridley, Isaiah Oliver, Ido Smith, John Kaminsky, Kendall Sheffield, and Quadra Allison. In our Hits category, you have Tevin Coleman, Russell Gage, Olamide Zacchaeus, Devondre Campbell, Wes Schweitzer, Teron Ward, and Sherrod Nisman. And then your diamonds in the rough, you have Grady Jarrett, Brian Poole, Austin Hooper, Deion Jones, DeMonte Casey, and Foye Luicon. And up on our title run uh, website, we have a chart of this. And If you looked at it, it essentially forms a bell curve, which is more or less the kind of production you'd expect from a draft. And while it's easy to kill the Falcons for their draft failures, a more critical look shows the team has found and retained a great deal of quality depth in the first five drafts of the Quinn era. This is the case for nearly all NFL teams. What separates the habitually good franchises is their ability to consistently draft and retain hits at the most high impact positions. Thomas Dimitrov has continued to excel in drafting skill positions. His history of drafting running backs, receivers, and defensive backs is truly exceptional. But even the addition of Dan Quinn, and his defensive line background, hasn't been enough to solve the Falcons' woes drafting players in the line of scrimmage and one of the things that the consistently good teams do is build from the line of scrimmage. If the Falcons move on from Quinn and or Dimitrov after this season, it'll likely stem from yet another year of subpar line play on both sides of the ball, with a steady trickle of quality skill players and linebackers once again unable to overcome it. That's it for the Beta Title Run Podcast. I'm David Bethay, and thank you for listening.